Welcome back to Dark Nexus. Tonight, it's Act 1, Chapter 22. Yes. We are picking up on the morning of Day 9 of the campaign, the first day of the month of Neth. Now, as I mentioned last time, every month in the Galarian calendar is named after a very specific god. And we're in that part of the calendar where the gods that they're dedicated to are some of the ones that are on the weirder, darker, or more evil side. This particular month is named after Nethys, the ancient Osirian god-king whose mastery of magic allowed him to be able to see everything transpiring on every plane of existence, which simultaneously rocketed him to godhood and drove him utterly, utterly insane. That's the deity of magic in this world. That seems appropriate for where we're at right now. Exactly. symbol is an eye. Yes. It's the equivalent of the month of November. And the weather outside today is, is reflecting some of that, again, further change of season. The winds have completely died down, but the rain is back. And what the rain is doing now is it hits the window. It's immediately crystallizing and freezing. And it seems as though it might be below zero outside as these drops of rain are falling through the yellow mist and crystallizing and cracking on the panes of the cathedral windows. We did some rolling off of air since everyone's <laughs> have been so bad. Um, we're picking up today with Gull having actually gotten better overnight. He's back to merely the weakened stage. I rolled a 17. It was so exciting. Yay! So Gull ain't doing great, but he can at least adventure, which is good. Uh, Ray checked out some of these magical auras again and uh, continued the streak at this table for a couple weeks now of not rolling much higher than a four or five, with the exception of that one roll that Johnny made. Uh, we left last time with a little vision into the backstory of the Morning Star that we now know is named Orflame. Polly, what's Ray thinking about what he heard? Ray's very concerned. Yeah. <laughs> and is beginning to suspect that he has a darker past yeah. than he's comfortable admitting. Yeah. The uh, reading, the psychometry reading that uh, Dora just gave has chilled him. His hair falls across half his face <laughs> and he's avoiding eye contact as he kind of slinks away a little bit. Gotcha. We know, thanks to the rest we've taken here, that Dora is doing much better on the sanity scope of things, although not well yet. That's kind of the state of this party. A little bit better, but not by any stretch of the imagination well. <laughs> But on this day, day nine, it does look as though folks are ready to head back out again. And uh, what is the plan for today? I think we need to find the medicines for, for everybody, don't we? I mean, we're running out of time for the medications for Loic and the kids. Mm. And it does seem as though you've got enough medicine to last today and tomorrow. And that's when things will start to get sketchy after that point. Do we have any thought that there are more to be found somewhere else? You, NASA would be able to tell you that there is a supply stock of medicine. What's the word? Infirmary? Is that the word? Yep. Pharmacy. Yeah, almost like a pharmacy, essentially. And that that would be located over in the East Wing, which is... Well, so let's talk about the places you have yet to explore, uh, that you have not entered. You've never entered the Western Courtyard, but you have now been entirely around its circumference on the inside of the building. Reasonable to assume, if anything's in there, it's not getting in or out, so it may not be worth exploring. 
We have not been in the east courtyard because of the large flying thing. However, we did discover the one thing we were looking for there, which was this set of stairs going down to the morgue. We now know those stairs are no longer there, and there's something awful 200 feet below where that space was. Mm -hmm. That leaves us basically with two possible paths forward that we have not taken, both of which lead to the east ward. The first one is way down south in the visitor's room. There's that door that goes outside to the east. You saw through the yellow fog kind of a cobblestone path heading off to the northeast there where it would meet up presumably with admitting. Un unknown if it's safe to go out there yet or not. You have not opened that door. The other path is through this closet that Gull climbed in through that had been bashed through into the personal effects storage. Gull heard a high-pitched shrieking wind and the sound of churning water, and you had all put together that maybe he was hearing whatever is causing the door in the administration hallway to bleed. That's basically the two places that we have not yet explored that seem at least viable at the moment. And we also talked about trying to go and do a psychometry reading on the oh, rainbow yes, fog. Absolutely. We still have Lissandra's office with the rainbow fog and pool of blood that if we decide to go one way, we got to walk through that room anyway. Grip doesn't like the idea of going outside. So, I mean, I think he would, and we would want, I think the, the psychometry reading on, on the rainbow unicorn death explosion, death explosion <laughs> fountain, I think is worth doing the, the reading on. So I would vote for going that way. Agreed. What do you think, Dora? What, what do you think? Fine. <laughs> Again, the visual is swaddling the fox. Do you have an opinion, Gull? I uh, yeah, no, I I I think that that sounds fine too. All right. We're heading back through the entrance hall, back through Ratch Mamby's lair. <laughs> He's probably delighted that he gets to shit and eat in solitude that day. He's not bothered by all of the reading of his precious, precious eating material. I think he likes us. He might just like yes. you. Because he's very <laughs> sweet, and you should get really comfortable in your relationship <laughs> with this horrifyingly no evil creature. <laughs> he's got to at least be excited that we're going out and might get some more scrolls. It is true. Oh, yeah. No, he would be very excited about that. Don't ever tell him about the ones you used, Ray. I won't. So we're easily uh, at this this chunk of the this chunk of the of the hospital has actually been fairly explored by you, and the ways to other places are pretty impassable at the moment. So you are able to easily make your way back to Lissandra's office, where you find now what like a week into having first found it, the blood looks exactly the same, the fog looks exactly the same. It is nothing has changed about whatever's happening there in this entire time you've been exploring. Hmm. Is this you wanted me to? Yes, please. Dora does seem a little bit twitchy about it. Oh. Uh, opening herself up to things mm -hmm. feels like whatever. Opening herself up to places has a different dimension to it now. Mm. But she doesn't want to talk to you guys about that. Right. And thinking, too, about now Dora has spent many, many days in this Briarstone library learning about the history of this island, about yeah. the history of this witch, about the haunting on this island, the horrible things that happened in this, this area. This is not a great place. It is not a great place. And combined with 
the only piece of this place that she has seen that you haven't. Um, this, there's a hesitancy there, but also a sort of desire not to let you know that. So right. she's stalling a little bit and fussing with the with Reynard and, and stuff, but she Fox does yips. eventually settle down to um, do this. We're going to do this? All right. Yeah. This is psychometry on Dr. Lissandro's office. This is a perception check, Dora. And again, you can, if you wish to, use Burst of Insight. I think I will, now that I have six spells a day. Yes! Six spells. That's awesome. Natural 20. (gasps) All right. Yes. Plus Um, 13 is 33. We're going to do a little bit of story time with Uncle Buttons here. Because there is a lot to learn about this place. This is a longer story, but this is the last long story to be learned in this particular place. Bring it on. But let's do it, right? Yeah. Yes. Let's do yes, it. Please. We have earned this. I'm going to... That may be my first natural 20 of this entire campaign. <laughs> it <laughs> definitely hasn't happened and in it, combat. It may be my last, so <laughs> let's see. <laughs> okay. So she, she sits down. Cross-legged has been kind of the path, the path right? Fox and lap. Fox and lap, crystal. But here she can continue to stroke him and hold him close. The comfort she can be provided. To, yeah. Yeah. And she slips her mind into the history of this room and like feeding into her worst fears about this place, she's immediately barraged with countless images of blood and gore and flashing lights and gnashing teeth and terrible, terrible dark black eyes as these images rush past her and she's sort of understanding, oh my, oh my God, there were enough events like that that happened in this room that I'm seeing a pattern as time goes through centuries here. And then she tentatively sticks a hand out and stops the flow of time you see Lissandro's office, looking nearly identical to how it looks today, only without the giant pool of blood or the cloud of rainbow fog. The curtains covering the giant windows are mostly closed, but you can see a little through where they're still partially open. Rather than an impenetrable sea of swirling yellow, you see beautifully landscaped courtyard, green grass, blossoming trees, all tucked inside the two- and three-story walls of a stone structure that looks beautiful, like something out of how I imagine uh, Lyra's Oxford, if you've spent any time with the Golden Compass or the Book of Dust. Just beautiful, classical, collegiate-looking place. It's mid-afternoon, probably three o'clock or so, so there's light outside, but because the curtains are closed, it's dim inside the room. In fact, like now, where it's only lit by a single glowing crystal, The room is lit by one single candle. You now have a view of the center of the northern wall of Lissandro's office for the first time. The section of wall currently in the present obscured by the rainbow cloud. Six pieces of artwork hang in exquisite frames. Five black charcoal drawings plus a painting in red. All six on yellowed parchment paper. The charcoal sketches depict cityscapes and buildings that Dora immediately recognizes from the beginning of the campaign, where you first woke up in the nightmare where the 
the Nightmare Man or Razor Man, as Winter called him, or the Rag Man, as Gull calls him, or the Shred Man, as Ratch Man calls him, or as Dora now knows his name to be, where the Tatter Man stalked and killed you. Those are the five charcoal drawings. The sixth is a painting, all in red, of a monument, uh, a Stella, specifically. And if you don't know that word, it's a, it's, another, it's a very specific word for a tall, vertical standing stone. This one is a carved stone pillar resembling like, like an obelisk, but instead of having four square sides tapering up to a triangle peak, it looks like a cylinder standing tall sliced in half vertically. So one half of the vertical surface is round, the other half is perfectly flat. And symbols are carved all over the flat side, unsettling symbols, symbols that seem to writhe and twist. And at the apex of the Stella is a star symbol. But rather than having the traditional five points of star iconography, it's got way more than that. 10, 11, it's too many. Why does that star have too many points? Brief sidebar. As Dora describes this out loud, as she's speaking out loud as she does when she does this, Gull immediately recognizes this Stella as the monument he saw in his dream. And in that dream, the Stella seemed like maybe it was at the Cincomacti school, but upon reflection, as your brain turns over it, Gull, you probably realize it was never located there geographically. It had some significance, may have been tied there emotionally, but Gull's th thinking it's not there is no such actual monument at that school. The way dreams work is connect things of relative relevance, not necessarily specific truth. Back to the vision. There are two people in this office, a man and a woman, both human. The man is, pull that picture, Katie. Oh. Yeah, we just found the Oliver Zandalus picture. <gasps> oh. The man is tall and thin and pale, with big blue wet eyes, a long white ponytail, eerily soft and smooth skin on his face, except for a path of bumpy scars running just on the underside of his jawline. But he's got these wrinkled and worn old man hands. He's standing up, but he looks catatonic completely unaware of his surroundings. He's in a sepia-toned patient's gown. It is Oliver Zandalus in the flesh for once, rather than in a dream. And with his young but old kind of androgynous thing going on, I, I picture David Bowie when I picture him. Like, mm. take your pick of era, it doesn't matter. You're probably picturing something that looks as unique and interesting and striking as he does. The woman is in her 60s. She's dressed like an academic, rather than a doctor, in long red robes and glasses, but unlike a stereotypical academic type, she looks like tough, confident, strong, fierce. I picture uh, Michelle Rodriguez, although obviously older, older, but like dark-haired, lithe, fit, angular. It's Dr. Lissandro, you know at once. Zandala stands at the center of the room, not far from where the center of the rainbow fog currently is. Lissandro stands a few feet away, reading by the light of this single candle from a giant tome laid upon an elegant carved wooden book holder. The tome is ancient, thick, weathered, worn, filled with arcane and occult writing. 
Lissandra was reading from a ritual of some sorts, and she seems to be a long time into it, maybe an hour or more. Her voice is getting raspy from continuous incantation. She's sweating from the exertion. Her legs are starting to sewing machine a little bit. They're getting wobbly beneath her, and her hands placed on the book are quivering. Another brief sidebar. Dora, as you see this book on this stand, you recognize it immediately as the book that you picture when you cast Burst of Insight. <laughs> Though to be clear, this is not the room you picture it in. Yeah. Or is it resting on the exact same stand that you picture? But when you cast Burst of Insight, you draw some sort of memory from the Chain of Knights. Wow. With a long, loud string of occult techno babble, Lissandro completes the ritual and suddenly there's this huge flash of blinding red light and a roar of sound like a chorus of screaming souls. And two things happen at once. Number one, Lissandro is thrown backward five feet, lands on her back with the wind completely knocked out of her. Meanwhile, number two, Deep inside Zandalus's body, there is an audible popping sound. He arches his back as if all of his muscles seem to simultaneously contract and tighten, and his mouth opens in what would be a scream, except there's no sound. There's no sound because he seems to be choking on something. You see the inside of his torso beneath his patient's gown start to bubble and then expand. He's filling up with something. It's moving higher and higher and higher up to his throat, up to his mouth, and then he vomits an eruption of black sludge out of his nose and mouth. It's shiny and inky and thick. It's like living tars. It splats onto the floor and moves together to form a spinning ball of black nightmare sludge growing from the size of a golf ball to the size of a tennis ball to the size of a basketball growing and growing and growing and growing as he vomits it out of his face and this probably feels to Zandalus as though it takes hours given the obvious intensity of the pain he's experiencing but in reality as you watch it Dora it only takes a matter of seconds in fact it happens so quickly that Lissandro is still looking up at the ceiling from her position flat on the floor as she's recovering herself, and she misses what happens next. But Dora doesn't. The stream of nightmare sludge erupting out of Xandalus's face is tapering off now, now that the sphere of it outside his body is nearly five feet across. The stream is just about to stop entirely when something else comes crawling out of the poor man's mouth. It is a human arm. A full-sized human arm, gray flesh covered in sores, long jagged nails. Sandals' eyes widen in horror as he looks down and a second arm emerges from inside his mouth, this one clutching a gleaming war razor. Picture a literal, full-grown man crawling out of another man's mouth from inside his chest. Sandalus's mouth is stretched to now impossible size. Oh, and there you go, yep, a head is emerging. Gray flesh, wrapped in writhing, living yellow bandages, eyes covered, lamprey mouth, dripping blood. His head and his arms and his shoulders are outside of Sandalus now. He's reaching down to use Sandalus's torso as leverage to pull himself out. <laughs> At last! <laughs> Zandalus is staring in terror at the man climbing out of his mouth, weeping openly, and then... Sudden resolve comes into his eyes. The tears stop. 
She reaches out and he grabs the tetter man's head and he shoves him back inside of his mouth. The struggle is epic, but quick. Before Lissandro can even look up from the floor, Zandalus has forced the creature back inside of him and clamped his mouth shut. And with a whoop, the ritual ends. All is still, all is quiet. From the floor, Lissandra sits up. She whispers, did it work? She reaches out a finger and touches the floating sphere of nightmare sludge and it pops like a bubble. She looks up at Zandalus. Alva, Alva, are you all right? Zandalus looks completely changed. Moments before, there was nothing behind his eyes, nothing in the carriage of his body, and now he seems present. He tries to speak. Nothing comes out. No sound has come out of that mouth except for night terror screams for over 30 years. He clears his throat. It obviously hurts. And then he says, I should very much like to sleep now. It's a simple sentence, eight little words, but the effect on Lissandro is huge. This grin transforms her face. She breaks down in tears. We did it, we did it. Oh, Alva, your long nightmare is finally over. She leaps to her feet and embraces him. After a long, awkward pause, he, he hugs her back. I should very much like to sleep now. And sleep you shall, the sleep of the righteous. She knocks on the eastern door and an orderly enters. He's tall, Verizian, stocky, friendly faced. Uh, is it all right in here? Boy, that was, uh, that was something, that was, that was something all right. Yes, Campre, everything's fine. Everything's going to be just fine. She crosses to her desk quickly scrawls something on a piece of paper that Dora recognizes, <laughs> hands it to him, he tucks it into his coat. Take this up to Clara on two. Your discretion shall not go unrewarded. Cambrai Linway tucks it in his coat. Uh, now, please, escort Alva to his room, if you'd be so kind. Cambrai nods, crosses over to Zandalus. He smiles. All right, Alva, are you going to come with me now? Zandalus hesitates for a moment, just a moment. He's obviously processing a lot right now, and in an act that might otherwise seem mundane, given that Zandalus has been nearly catatonic for decades, after politely asking the man to come along, Campre just reaches out and grabs his arm. No harm intended. But Dora sees something neither Campre Linway or Eliege Lissandro see. Zandalus's eyes go from blue to black in the span of a single blink. It's a millisecond moment. And if you hadn't observed the ritual you had just observed, you never would have noticed it. But you do. And then you're back in the river of time, floating past other moments, and you're back again in Lissandra's office, looking just as you last saw it, including the ancient tome, the chain of knights laying open on the wooden stand near the center of the room. Looking out the cathedral windows, you can tell it's later now. It's probably evening, probably seven o'clock or so. And again, the space is lit only by a single candle. Dr. Lissandro is at the fancy black marble desk, 
She's writing in a small notebook, and you don't recognize this notebook. It's not like it's not a journal. It's not a book that you've seen. She's frantically documenting with the joyous air of a scientist who's like discovered the cure for cancer or something. She's thrilled. She's giddy. She's desperate to document every detail of her experience while it's still fresh. And then, without a knock or warning of any kind, boom! Oliver Zandalus enters the room from the door on the west side of the south wall, so from the library area. He's still in his sepia patron's gown, but now he has a flame chalked in white on his forehead, and he's manically twirling some keys on a ring on his finger. His eyes are wide open, eerily so, too big in his head, and his irises are black, black as his pupils, so his eyes look like inky black circles rolling around in his whites. He's grinning, he's grinning really wide, too wide, and he's moving really weird, like he's a puppet being yanked around by someone who's never driven this particular human meat sack before. He's got a cluster of goons with him, five men, Two patients, three orderlies, all big, all grinning. As this gaggle of disturbed men spills into the room, the goons are whispering, praise, 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 as they move and cluster around Dr. Lissandro. She starts to say, what's the meaning of this? But that's all she's able to get out before the goons swarm her, restrain her, cover her mouth, and drag her to the center of the room. Drag her to exactly where the epicenter of this rainbow fog cloud will later be found. One of the goons stays behind at the desk and tears out the pages of the notebook where she's been writing and eats the pages one by one. What's the meaning of this, you ask? Says a voice, coming out of Oliver Zandalus's mouth. I'll tell you what's the meaning of this, Ellie Belly. He went to sleep, he did. <laughs> now, I was already having ever so much fun Poking around the dark spaces where your earliest to bed was sleeping. Killed myself a few little kids. Yeah, yeah, fun, fun. Killed myself a couple of old prunes too. Yeah, yeah, fuck them. They had their chance to amount to something. But then, who knew? When he fell asleep, I got the body out here. <laughs> The goons holding Lissandro all laugh in her face. She's trying to talk, but they've got her jaw held shut so tightly she can't manage it. One of the guys whispers into her ear, words fail. They all laugh. It's just awful. So I'll show my friends here a few things. Yeah, yeah. And they'll never be the same again, will they? <laughs> he throws his head back and yells, praise. And the rest of them howl like wolves and yell, raise! And with their mouths open, you can see that the goons all have blood-stained tongues and bits of fatty gristle in their teeth. They've been eating raw meat of some sort, eating something or someone while it was still alive and wriggling. But back to your question. What's the meaning of this? Well, well, Missy, I have myself an idea. And if I've learned anything... Over the past several hundred years, it's that ideas are good, and you should always do every single fucking thing you think of. And I was thinking of the king, you see. Braze. I was thinking of Allah on the like. Like we're on a like, yeah. And I was thinking of the sign. All the goons simultaneously whisper, Have you found the yellow sign? Right into her face. And I was thinking... There are loads of ways to bring things to other places, isn't it? So, to transport minds, to transform faith, to move people. Get what I'm saying? And I thought of this. 
He lays a twitchy finger on the book lying open on the stand. A chain of knights, yeah? Oh, 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 I know it. <laughs> it's appeared quite prominently in so many delicious nightmares over the centuries. Enough that I think I know how to make it work. Hold up, boys. Lissandro starts howling and writhing, but the goons are too strong. Zandalus reads from the chain of knights by the light of a single candle. He reads occult gibberish for a straight hour as Lissandro weeps and cries and the goons chortle and grin. And then when he finishes, whoom, red light, rush of a noise like a thousand screaming souls. Zandalus howls in agony as a thousand tiny cuts open up all over his flesh. You can see them open on his face and his hands and arms, and you can tell they're opening everywhere else as dark stains start to spread all over his sepia gown. Zandalus he howls in triumph. He loves the pain. He laughs and laughs and laughs as he bleeds and bleeds and bleeds. Meanwhile, Lissandro's body twitches, jerks, her spine arches steeply backward, the goons take a step back, and there is a terrible, soul-rending, wet, slick, snapping sound inside her stomach. Her irises and pupils immediately vanish. All that's left is white. She opens her mouth in a soundless scream. Her body bubbles and bubbles and bubbles from the inside. Something has been opened up on the inside of her and she's filling up with something. It's rising and rising and rising closer to the throat in her mouth. She shakes and convulses. All of her pores open up. Every single drop of blood leaves her body in one mad, wet splash, forming a perfectly still pool around her. Sandalus looks down at the blood. Oh, shit. That's weird. Lissandro's eyes are nothing but whites. She has no blood in her body, but horrifically, She's still breathing. Her eyes are still blinking, and from the expression on her face, you can tell she is living this indescribable agony. And then with a sputtering rush, puffs of fog start pouring out of her mouth, as though she'd swallowed a fog machine. It's yellow at first, then kind of dark black, and then it transforms into a dark gray cloud mottled with rainbow sprinkles. It expands outward and consumes her, as fast as it dissolves when it gets about a 10 feet away, it's replaced by more and more fog streaming endlessly out of her mouth. And the last you see of Eliège Lissandro is the sight of her still living face, frozen in agony, as she becomes an undying conduit for something. Zandalus is clearly pissed. That was a bust. It's not going anywhere. Was it not going anywhere? drags a finger through the chain of knights for a moment. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, well, fuck that up. I'll do better next time. Grab the book, boys, and the stand. And then the world goes mad as the thing below the island, the thing that Dora saw, touched by the energies released by this ritual, is stirred ever so briefly in its slumber and a devastating earthquake throttles and shakes the asylum. The air fills with screams and the sound of stone crumbling and windows shattering, a total apocalypse. This particular room is miraculously untouched, but looking outside the windows, you see Briarstone Asylum crumbling to pieces. Zandalus like <laughs> drags himself over the window. Huh, well, you know what this looks like to me? 
one of the goons comes over, squats on the floor beside him. It's a full-grown man, mind you. Licks his hand. Uh, opportunity, master. Opportunity is right. Then, Zandalus suddenly falls to the floor, as though he's had his legs kicked out from under him. Oh shit, I think he's waking up. Alright, gather around boys, listen to me now, listen to me good. Find me some volunteers for the procedure. Four of them. Keep them on lockdown till tomorrow night. Find me a couple of good rooms with big open windows. And then you know the drill. When I'm him, you don't do one fucking thing he says. Praise him, feed him, keep him closed away. Don't hurt him, keep him alive. Because we're tied together now, me and him. Somehow, some way. And it can't be untangled, not anymore. But when I'm back, he doesn't finish the sentence. It suddenly sags lifelessly for a moment, falling over on his face. And he sits up, and his eyes are no longer dark black pits. They're blue and wet, and he seems like an old man, scared and sad and confused. Where, where am I? The goons all say, praise. Sandalus is looking around. Oh no. I can... I can remember. It wasn't a dream. Oh gods! What have I done? The goons throw a bag over his head, drag him out of the room along with a chain of knights, and the vision fades. Oh no. Holy shitballs. You can probably make a knowledge check, Dora. Let me check to see what it is. Oh, can I? I also might be able to make knowledge checks. You might, because you can make any knowledge check. That's right. This would be a planes check. Natural one. Oh, seems fitting. Yep. Uh, it's 17, and I'm going to spend a, an, a, a single point of inspiration today. That's still a 12, if it matters. Fifteen. Dora's not sure what to think of this, but of course she has a fox to take care of, so her mind is elsewhere at the moment. Gull, working through the the fog of his own sickness at the moment, as, as you were listening to Dora describe specifically the pop in the inside of her belly, and then the sight of this fog coming out, you do like uh, a memory comes to mind of these creatures called Oniridgens. They are outsiders now. They are beings that were once normal mortals, but within them, a sliver-sized tear between the planes has been opened. A crack hardly larger than a pinprick. And as you put together what Dora has already put together about the nature of this fog, you would guess that essentially a portal to the dimension of dreams has been opened in the inside of her chest, and now what is spilling out of her is dream stuff from the plane of dreams. However, as you're like, your memory of Oniridgens, they produce enough planar material in the fog that they vomit 
that they can they can walk around a city and like drag it into another plane of existence. They usually pour so much out of them that they run the risk of transforming a landscape and and taking it taking it elsewhere, taking it to the other plane. And obviously, something about this one seems broken. He did it wrong. He did it wrong. Yeah, he messed something up. That is what you know that was not high enough to know multiple things. Let me see. So it's pretty obvious that this fog cloud that surrounds them is going to act sort of like obscuring mist. Concealment, creatures five feet away would have a 20% mist chance. Creatures further away would have full concealment. And you also know that this process that destroyed her physical body and transformed her into this uh, immortal conduit did render her immune to mind-affecting effects. And that's about what you'd know about Oniragens at that level. Gull mm. shares this. Yeah. You said immortal? Yes, this she will continue in this state, suffering eternal agony forever until something happens to put her down. She won't die naturally. So I, mean. I had done detect thoughts on her. Oh, <laughs> whoops. Well, hey, you got a little bonus there. Should we try to help her? Look to heaven, mine. It would be a mercy. A mercy. If we could put her out of this misery, yes, but who knows what walking into that blood of fog would bring. But do as you like. <laughs> Stroking the fog. I know. I'm not going to do it. No. I'm not an idiot. Impul- I want to make. I want to do something impulsively. Ooh, yeah, without yeah. checking do with it. any of you. Uh, take a step into the fog. Yes, it's happening. Let's do it. It is happening. Yeah. So let's put ourselves on the map. We know that you probably came from this side. Exactly. Did we? Did we take the time to like climb the? No, we didn't even so say anything. But we were probably all just on that one side. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the closest place to access it from when after Dora walked in. So you just walk through the blood right into the fog. That's right. I imagine that I'm turned away, talking to, <laughs> yeah. talking to Dora, and <laughs> then like I see, and then I see your <laughs> eyes like drift over there, and I turn. And we're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get to bring up uh, a really fun piece of art here from the oh, book. Oh, please. Do. <laughs> so yeah, so Dora and Gallo are across the way, sort of talking to each other. Grip is about 10 feet away to the north as Ray steps through the pool of blood, splish splash, and enters the rainbow fog cloud. And you see in the center of that fog, like through this rainbow murky haze, you see Eliege Lissandro standing with her back arched, her hands outstretched, her mouth open wide as fog is just billowing continuously out of her mouth. And let's look at this little art, because it's fun. Oh! Oh, wow. Oh. Does she have a big bruise on her face where we hit her with a book? <laughs> yeah, there are books clattering everywhere around. She has no blood to bruise. We don't know I didn't hit her in the chest. <laughs> and we wow. have a token of oh. her. Alright, so Ray, you see this poor woman, the, the subject of this horrifying ritual, writhing in pain as she is spewing forth plainer dream stuff. And as you step through and you, you get sight of her, you take a, a, a breath. 
of this mist. Oh and God. shockingly, I'm gonna ask you to make a will save, my friend. <laughs> save. Yeah. All right, I changed. I changed dice and I got a 19 on the roll. Hey, so with a plus four, that's a 23. You feel this heavy weight pass through you. You know that feeling like when you're driving late at night and like you don't actually fall asleep, but you almost fall asleep and you just boom, you just jerk back. That's exactly what happens to you. You have this standing in place jerk as you step through the fog. And as she makes eye contact with you with her just pupilless white eyes, roll initiative. Everybody roll initiative. Uh. Ray. 12. Grip. 14. Gulliver. 12. I assume Gulliver's got the decks, yeah? Yep. And Dora. 21. Oh, hey. Although, honestly, considering that I'm as fatigued and sickened as I am, I don't actually think that's true. Oh. Mm. Yeah, I love it. All right. So you're going to lose ties for the moment. That's yeah. fun. That's fun. Yeah, yeah. Do I have enough time to yell out, don't breathe the fog? <laughs> the fog is dangerous. Don't breathe it. Sure. Yes, absolutely. The fog is dangerous. Don't breathe it. And round one is going to start with Dora, who's standing way back with her Fox, is she participating in this combat? She, I mean, she can't see anything except for Ray at this moment. Let's keep that in mind. I've got a mini here, but you all do not see Lissandra. She will take a five-foot step towards Grip and reach out to him with one hand while she holds the fox with the other. Yes. Go and get him. And she casts corruption resistance on him. Awesome. She's not sure it will do anything. Yeah, remind me what it does again. Yeah, so for the next 30 minutes... She grants the touch creature limited protection from evil magical effects that inflict damage. The subject takes five less points damage from effects dealt from evil creatures. I don't know that this will help. Got it. Great. But she's not going in there. Yes. Uh, herself. Okay, great. Awesome. All right, so grip this power flows through her hand, and this is something you have not felt yet. And um, yeah, what does it feel like to, to, to have this spell cast on you, Katie? Well, it comes from a place of fear. That's the emotion mm -hmm. involved in it. So I kind of can't help but feel like it's tied up with that, that there is that you're feeling Dora's fear over what might happen to Ray, mm -hmm. but that at the same time, it feels like being comfortably wrapped in a cocoon, you know, like, yeah. like a blanket wrapping around you and sort of holding you, your heart close. <laughs> That's awesome. Fantastic. Next is Dr. Lissandro, who has turned her blank eyes to Ray, these eyes are weeping, and you, she still is like essentially screaming, even though she's not making any sound, still clearly in unspeakable agony. But there seems to be this, it's as though, you know, part of what broke her body and broke her mind and turned her into this also turned her into something that is designed to protect what's happening. And she just lashes out with a fist at you, trying to punch you, uh, even though you're wearing heavy armor and you are uh, significantly taller than her. She hits armor class 20, is that a hit? That's it, exactly. So, there is concealment, so why don't you go ahead and roll a 10-sider on a one or two, she misses you. Okay. Nope. All right, this 
fist slams into you and it does five points of damage. Not a huge amount, but way more than you'd expect a 60-year-old doctor to be able to inflict on you with a single punch. She does it again. And that's a miss. Probably just pings right off of your uh, off of your chainmail there. Next up is Grip. So you can't see her, but obviously you hear Ray yell out in pain. You're seeing him maneuver as though he's being attacked, but you can't see the source of it yet. Grip's gonna um, he's used to doing used to doing what Dora says, really. So yeah, I'll go fucking get him. Um, and I'm gonna. Uh, I, I heard him yell. Don't breathe. Don't breathe. So I'll squish through. And then hold my breath before I take that last five-foot step. I love it. So, hold your breath, feeling confident as you step into the fog there. And you start to feel the hairs on your skin tingle as though the vapor is also entering your body through all of your pores. It may not necessarily be tied to breathing. Give me a will save. With a plus one. With a plus one. For the first time. Uh, 19? No, that's, I rolled a 19. It's a 20. Excellent. Nice. <laughs> you, awesome. I feel better for not giving you the resistance. <laughs> you you feel that same kind of like kick jerk. Body goes heavy, body goes light. But you fight off the effect and you are standing in front of her. You see her now as described to Ray. I, I, so I see what's happening. I can, I see, I don't understand what's happening. But um, I'm going to try to grapple her. Oh, okay, great. Give me your CMB check. I get a plus one. And you also, anything that adds to your attack bonus also adds to your CMB. So since you have a weapon focus on armed strike, you can add that to CMB checks where you're using your hands to do something. That's awesome. It awesome. really so is. I get a plus two. Wow. Uh, 23. Fantastic. I'm going to check a concealment here on a one or two. You're going to miss because of the fog. <laughs> so you, you reach out where you think she is, but the fog throws your vision off a little bit. That's so unfortunate. All right, so Grip has entered the fog, reached out, just missed her. Ray, you Grip are up. Grip has entered the fog. Grip has entered the fog. At least I know I don't have to worry about keeping my breath held. <laughs> Ray, give me a will save. I'm going to oh, give you another now. will save. Ugh. Bad. Bad. Natural one. Grip enters the fog, reaches out for her. She's just not quite where he thinks she is. Ray sees his opportunity, turns to face her, and then, boom, the floor opens up completely beneath you. And like a moon door, you're looking down at a city from about a thousand feet, and you start falling, 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 falling. You're screaming as you're falling towards a city. The city is poisoning the shoreline of a giant pool of tears, perpetually shed by a lonely, deific maiden hovering in the sky. She's weeping. You're falling. Drop, drop, drop. Raindrops, teardrops. You falling, falling, falling. Smash. You land on the floor or ground. It's made of red-veined black marble, and there's tattered black and red flags and banners fluttering from spikes and points of an endless tower all around you. There's men and women in shackles, mostly humans and halflings, shuffling lifelessly through the streets, moaning low to themselves. The man 
on your right, a flatulent aristocrat with pasty skin and dead eyes hands you a long, heavy silver box, and he says, A hateful old witch, give this to me. You say, What? He glitches and resets. My daddy, Oliver Westinghouse, gave this to me. He used it to kill people. You say, what the fuck? He glitches again, out of existence. He vanishes. The man on your left is shrouded in black robes. He beats you over the back of your head with something really hard. Like, smash! Your head's ringing, your pulse is pounding. He shoves you into the city. You look down and you see, oh, there's a chain in your hand. Oh, you remember what you were doing all day today. Yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. You're following this chain. Link by link by link by link. You know exactly where it's gonna lead. Link by link by link. Fun. You follow the chain through the city, over and under the slaves, (laughs) up and down the hills, in and out of buildings, and past the pointless daily drama of all the useless inconsequential lives. Link by link by link by link. As you pass, you spit contemptuously on banal domestic scenes. You spit on women. You spit on children. You spit on houses and suppers and knitting and cobblers and farmers and bankers and lawyers and foxes and hounds and lettuce and sliced meat and curdled cheese and paper and pens and coins and letters and shoes and gloves and earrings and toys and you hate, you hate, you hate. You are filled with hate, link by link by link. Yellowed parchment paper is floating past you. A voice in your ear says, I'm feeling very tired now. You turn your head. There's no one there. Above you, the moon. Or is it a woman? Unknown. She turns into a bruise, and fog pours into the city. No. Oh, shit. You're running out of time. Link by link by link by link by link until finally you reach the end of the chain. Ha <laughs> ha! Victory! It ends tied around your own neck like a noose. You're in your body holding the chain and looking down at your body with the chain wrapped around your neck. One of you is a child, one of you is not exactly a child. You hate both of them. You spit on them. Now there's like three of you. Nope, up, there's a fourth. And that asshole just spit in your face. You roar with fury. You take the chain in both hands, you start yanking. All seven or eight of you now, 10 maybe, including you. You, you're now choking and coughing and sputtering in agony and rage. The pain is unbearable. Your eyeballs pop, leak down your face into your mouth. You vomit up eyeball goo, you pull and pull and pull, and Gulliver's up. <laughs> oh, so what the rest of you saw was Ray just dropped to the ground. He's not moving. Well, not <laughs> us. Gulliver is going to... Uh, yeah, you can see him. You can see oh, him, okay. like sh- shadowy through the mist. Okay. Then as a move action... I am going to move over to him yeah. and then grab him and see if I can drag him out of the mist. Yeah, I think in this round, since he there's no one pulling against him, uh, let's say you can pull him back five feet this great. round, and you've, you've great, started great. to drag him out of the mist. Ray! And as you pull him out of the mist, you do notice that he's starting to loosely come through and you know as you're tasting your eyeballs in your mouth Ray what start to open your eyes and you are not where you were when you were last conscious round two Dora so I've seen Gulliver's got Ray in the blood yes in the blood but out of the fog out of the fog and grip is still in there yeah can I 
attempt to do the same thing by going to the place where Grip went in and reaching out to try yeah. to grab him and pull him back? Yeah, for sure. I mean, hanging on to Reynard. Oh. Not at that expense. Mmm. He's so big. Gull's very, very, uh, Grip, grip is very, very big. I don't know that you could manage to even budge him with one hand. And Reynard is too precious to possibly then, set down even for a second. Then she will go forward and reach out to him, and when she touches him, she'll cast resistance upon him. Excellent. Why don't, Robert, why don't you roll a die 10, and one call. or two? Come back! Seven. All right, great. So you have resistance now. Okay. Uh, she, she's up. She's going to try to punch you twice there, Grip. He's got corruption resistance, if she's evil. 21? Yeah. For three points of damage, kind of a light blow there. And a natural one. Okay, so second attack miss. This seems to be the pattern here. She can sort of focus for a second. She's, she's a righty. She's a righty. That left fist is just not doing anything. Not a softball. Oh, did you get a concealment? Oh, no, you did not. Go ahead. Roll tie down. Red die 10. Seven again. Okay, all right. So you do take that damage. And then you are up. Well, give me a will save. Yeah, why not? Plus two. Eight. Ay, ay, ay. You don't know how, Grip. But one minute you're standing there trying to punch her and you blink. And then you're in this tower. This perfectly circular fortress of bleeding black thorns sprouting flowers made of skin. There's endless hallways spiraling in on themselves and filled with raging sheets of flame and screaming children and women and chains and death. You're running. Oh, you're running. This time you're running from an old woman the size of a titan, bent and stooped inside this cavernous spiraling hallway. She has a horrifying, huge brown and yellow eagle, an eagle the size of a house. An eagle with razors for talons and razors for a beak and burning red eyes of pure hateful flame. And hey, guess what? The woman's wearing a dog mask. Or is she a dog wearing a mask made of human flesh? Fuck it, doesn't matter. You gotta get away. You hurl this rock in your hand at her by way of a momentary distraction. And then you run. You're running through the sheets of flame. Screaming in agony, you run through walls of thorns that tear your flesh. You trip over chains. You crash to the floor, smash your nose on a piece of black volcanic rock. And the rock opens with sickly lips like maggots. And they say, what have I begun? And you're like, no, not this jackass again. And oh, hey, there it goes. Parchment paper, crying man, yellow fog, teeth, bruises, razor and blades. You've been here before or somewhere like it. This, this is a dream. This is a dream. And you're like, fuck this shite. Wham! Something hits your back. Something like a boulder. You look up and you see feet, gray feet, orc feet. You look up further. A monstrously huge orc, sun-charred gray-green skin, dead black eyes, a mouth filled with axes, cudgels for hands. Wham! He crushes your legs into pulp. Wham! You wake up. Okay. Ray. You're lying face down in a pool of blood, just groggily coming into consciousness. What do you do? I stand. Yes, hey, move action. Gulliver is like right behind you, like trying to help you up yeah. kind of thing while he's got his, his alchemical torch Yeah, yeah. trained on the, the fog. Love it. And draw my crossbow. Excellent. Gulliver, you are up. You just saw a uh, grip drop. 
Gulliver is going to take a five-foot step, and he is going to fire it where he thinks there would be something in the fog. You definitely would have a square to target. It'll be a 50% I, mischance, I but take, I will you take know the, where this is happening. Then I will target and fire my alchemical torch. Uh, that's going to be a nine. Any shame to add to that? Not right now. The shot goes wide, probably not surprisingly. And then as a move action, he quickly reloads. Step, shoot, reload. Awesome. We're at the top of round three. Ray went out briefly, he's back in the game. Grip is now out on the floor right next to you, Dora. You can see him lying face down in the fog there. Then I guess, uh, she'll, can she target the square that Dr. Lissandro's in? She would also, well, what are you asking to target with? Like a book or something that weighs less than oh, five An pounds. attack of an actual object. Yes, you can do that for sure. So she looks around, clocks a book. <laughs> <laughs> Fires right. it. Give me your attack roll. Uh, this is into melee, though, right? Because of grip or no, grip being on the ground? No, he's prone and out of the picture here at the moment. Great. So it's just a ranged attack. <laughs> Eight. Any shame involved here? Yeah. Okay. She should have. She should have tried to protect uh, grip better the first time around. So. Uh, ten. Uh, yeah. Book goes wide. Oh, well. She takes a five-foot step, so now Dora and Ray are both inside the fog. Give me will save, the two of you. Hmm. Ray. Fourteen. All right, you stay conscious. Natural one. Oh. So, Dora drops, and she has a nightmare that she does not immediately remember. Maybe she's clouded for the moment by visions of giant worms and friendly, helpful foxes. It doesn't, doesn't quite stick with her. And after she does that, she, who is standing? Ray's the only one standing nearby. She punches at you twice, Ray. Uh, true to form, the right fist gets a, oh, 19, that's a miss, right? That is a miss. And then the left fist is a miss. Okay. Let's Who's see. punchy now? Ah, Grip is up, and Grip, you can make a will save to try to wake up. I would love to. 17. You wake up lying on your ass on the floor next to her in fog. Whoa. <laughs> well, standing up's gonna provoke. It will. Assuming that that's. that the, the, the attacking from prone is not much worse than a minus two. Oh, I've got it right now. The a prone attacker has a minus four penalty on melee attack rolls. And you are suffering a minus four penalty to your AC against melee attack rolls if she starts trying to punch down to you. Prone sucks. Yeah. All right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to take my move action, face goes slack, eyes roll up, and I'm going to take the blind fight. Great. Feet. And then I'm going to try to trip her. Oh, fun. Sweet. All right, so this minus four penalty on melee attack rolls for being prone would apply to this CMB check. Okay. I don't get the, the plus one for the maneuvers because that's only for a grapple, right? Right, but you get the, but plus, I get the one plus one for the, the weapon focus. Weapon focus. Yeah. So, uh, so 20. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to check concealment here. 
He's got you can, I've fight. got blind fight, so I know, re-roll it. It means you re-roll. And I got an eight on the die. So you go ahead and hit anyways, and she goes down. Oh, but that provokes. So she will take her attack of opportunity as you're reaching for her ankles, and she fails. So she goes down. Both of them are now prone in the blood. She's still vomiting fog out of her face, but she's now much easier to hit for those... Oh with melee weapons, and now Ray, it's Ray's turn. Ray's now standing there with a ranged weapon in hand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Top of my round here. Do I have to take another will save? You're in the fog. Thank you. 12 plus shame point, because I really don't want to lose another round here. 14. You stay awake. <laughs> Firing away with my crossbow very close to her. So she has used her attack of opportunity for the round. She is going to get a plus four bonus to her armor class. Well, but you're standing right over her. And she's prone. Well, prone is better against ranged things, but I think if you're standing right there just shooting down, I'm going to... No. It's point blank range, right? Yeah. Uh, 13 on the die plus four is a 17. Excellent. I'm going to check a concealment. You are good, and you land a shot. Nice. For eight points of damage. Oh, nice. Crossbow bolt slams right into her back as she's dropping as Lord has grabbed her ankles and yanked her to the ground. So that's a standard action. You got a move action left if you want. Five step, five foot step backwards. Great, get out of the fog. Mm-hmm. What is reloading like with a crossbow? That's a move action, you could also do that. While I take a five. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you're not actually taking a move. Done. Done and done. Gulliver, are you Uh, in the fog? You're still out of it, right? I'm still in the fog right right. now, and uh, Gulliver is, like, sort of weaving, like, still barely standing because he is still extremely debilitated. So he pops one of his extracts open, drinks it, and uh, he moves over to the wall, and he climbs up the wall ten feet. Nice. Which you wall? Uh, I think uh, it's uh, it's monkeyfish. Oh, Extract of monkeyfish uh, <laughs> over over on the other side of you because I would still be out of the out of the fog and then climbing up. And how I think that just gives up, you a bonus to climb checks, right? No, I have a I have a climb speed. It's not just a bonus; it is. And it's not like spider climb in that you can stick to vertical surfaces, but there's enough to grab on here. Done and done. You're good. Gain a climb speed of ten feet and a swim speed of ten feet. Awesome. Extract, and you're climbing up to get some height. So standard move, and that's that's what I did. All right, we start the top of round four with Dora prone, Grip prone, and Elias Lissandro prone. Dora, give me a will save to see if you wake up. Uh, 19 plus three is 20, plus four is 23. All right, you wake okay. up in blood. So and I wake fog. up uh, in blood, but she's prone too. Mm-hmm. Can she still make attacks of opportunity? If I move out of her she threatened area. Can. But she already has, but I don't know that. You don't know that, yeah. Um, well, first of all... Well, but I guess... So the reality of it is she just, like, got face-planted down onto the ground and shot in the back with a crossbow. I'm I never going to have a better opportunity yes, to get she, away. But she seems before I do anything, yeah, um, something just happened that she can't consciously remember. Yeah. Within her, however, oh. something... Uh, one... Timo wants to come out. She feels it. Timo wants to come out, but Dora says no. 
She says that out loud, still clutching the books. Yeah. And she kicks back five feet and away from out of the fog or however far she has to go to get out of the fog five feet is all you need I love it so team is trying to come out and you say no great because uh-huh. something very frightening just happened yep. but Dora can't remember what it is and whether Tima can access it or not now is not the time yep so this is her expressing that I'm going to try to manage this better. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, so she's on her back, kicking her so, way out of the. So fog. what can she see of Dr. Lissandro from there? Nothing. Okay. Gotta Doesn't be matter. Gotta be adjacent. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Shit. She must be able to clearly see her ally and the designated enemy. Okay. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> Crap. Maybe next round when she moves closer to you. So again. can she see Ray? Can she? What can she see? She can one hundred percent see Ray. She can one hundred percent see Gull. So in that move, can she get to Ray uh, without being adjacent to Doctor Lissandro again? Crawling five feet is a move action, I believe. So that you've oh, just really? taken a move action right now. Well, then she stands up. Okay. Mm. Sandro is on the ground next to Grip. Oh boy, wow. I think the two of you are just lying face down in the blood just and the punches are gonna start to get thrown. She's gonna punch blood at you. Blood wrestling. Blood wrestling. 15 minus four, so 11. That's a miss. That is a miss. And another miss as well. So just feebly battering her fists against you. And I think you're a little bit better at the uh, up-close tussle than 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 the 60-year-old woman? I would hope so. (laughs) And then, Grip, you are up. Give me a will save. Yeah. Uh, 14. (gasps) You're good. Nice. Um, I'm going to try to grapple her again. My, My goal is if I can successfully grapple her, I want to try to shut her mouth. Got it. Great, great. Give me that first CMB check. Okay. 18. Let me check concealment. One, but you still have blind fight, right? Nine. You're good. 18. Beats her CMD, and she is now grappled. So this first round is all about wrapping your arms around her, grabbing her, holding her tight, making it harder uh, for her to do her stuff and actually impossible for her to make attacks of opportunity as the rest of the stuff is going on. That's really fun. All right, you guys are rolling around in the blood. You've thrown your arms around her. you got her grabbed. Ray, you are up. You are out of the fog, right? Yep, you're good. I'm going to hold. Gulliver, you are up. You're on the wall there yep. across the way. The, the thing that wraps around, am I somewhere where I'm able to, like, step over onto that? Onto the walkway? Yes. Yeah, for sure. You can reach a hand up and... Great. So I'm I'm on the walkway then. You're up above now. You're on the second floor. Yep. Great. Uh, and I will, uh, again, target the area that I think that she would be at and uh, take, take a, a shot. shot. That Love is, it. That is what I will do. Love it. Firing the alchemical torch down from the walkway. That's going to be... It's a 10. Any shame? Nope. All right. You do miss. You're probably seeing just shapes moving. You can tell they're probably wrestling. Maybe caution. Yes, and the better. When you. I moved up onto the walkway, was that was I able to use a five foot step, or was that my move action? That'd be a move action. Great. Yeah. So then that's my that's what I do this round. All right. So we're at the end of the round, and Ray hasn't gone yet. Is it possible to move while switching weapons again? What you can do is drop as a free action and draw on the move, but. 
If you want to actually safely stow your crossbow for later use and go to another place, you got to take a move action to put it away. Okay, no, I'm happy to drop. Okay, drop. Drop and draw. You all drop and draw, see? You all drop and draw. <laughs> and um, I want to get over here. Oh, going to get in the fog, opposite grip, so you can get a little flanking bonus. Yeah. As you step in, you feel the fog seep into your pores. Give me a will save. No, even an action point's not going to help me. So, Ray drops that crossbow, draws the morning star, heads into the fog, and falls on his face into the blood. Another nightmare. (laughs) Round five. Dora, you are up. You are standing just outside the fog. What can I see from there? Uh, You can see Ray's uh, sleeping body in the blood in front of you in the fog. He's not as big as Grip, though, yeah? How heavy is your armor there, Paul? How, it's like how 30 yeah. pounds. He's out cold. Like, there's He's no out way. cold. He cannot help you. He's in heavy oh armor. Oh, my God. Armor. If only you could set Renard down, you might... I uh, can't. <laughs> I'm lucky he didn't... Leave you. Yeah. You certainly could from here. You, Even though you can't see her, yeah. you can tell from the struggle... What square she's in. You could do so the same sort of... So I will try to do a telekinetic projectile for sure. book at her. For sure. Throw the book at her, see? Throw the book at her. <laughs> but she is in melee with grip at this Yes, point. and she's prone. And she's prone. But that's the point, right? I mean, you get a 20. Roll it. You get a 20. I got a natural one. <laughs> oh. So, no, I didn't oh get a 20. God. This is about right for, the book, for where this party is The book undoubtedly hits me in the face. It's like, shh. Smacks you in the face. Wow. Renard yips. (laughs) (laughs) This is Dr. Lissandro's turn. Prone and grappled. Yeah, she's not gonna she's not gonna worry about getting out of this grapple. I think she feels how huge you are and how sure and steady your grapple is. The old half-orc Nelson, right? Yep. Um, I think she's just going to continuously try to punch you from the ground in your arms with this minus four penalty from being prone and minus two penalty from being grappled. All right. Nope. Nope. Grip, you're up. Uh, so I, in main, I'm going to maintain the grapple, but I want to try to force her mouth shut yes. within the grapple. Great. Uh, give me a CMB check. Will, will save. Oh, will save. Thank you, Paul. Will save. <laughs> oh, yeah. darting, you, Paul. darting daggers. <laughs> Paul. Um, let's wizard. <laughs> six. Uh, An adjusted six. Grip falls asleep and she's no longer grappled. Oh my god. Gulliver, you are up. You're up on the second level with your pistol that is not yet been loaded. Right. Uh, correct. I will rapidly reload it. Yep. And I will fire again down into the scrum of <laughs> of nonsense. Mud of nonsense. Fog although and nonsense. although at this point she's not actually in melee with anyone because he's unconscious and the other one is unconscious as well, right? I will give you that. So it's so just the minus four it's for just her being the minus prone. four for her being prone. So and the 50% miss You chance. never know. <laughs> uh, that's a 16 and uh, then minus four. No, so that's, you'll, I'll, I'll add to her armor class. Don't worry about it. Uh, then I'm going to just try that. Okay. Let me check in one. This is a 50% mischance. Nine. And you hit her. Oh my god. Bullet Amazing. speeds into the side of her arm yeah, these as are she's like let go. Yeah, thunderous explosions. By grip falling asleep. Oh. 
thunderous explosions. Seven points of damage. Boom. Seven points of damage. All right, nobody is awake to see the impact on her, so you're just hearing these thunderous explosions and then thuds of pellets into wet meat. Ray, you're up. Natural 20. Hey, you wake up on the ground next to her. She's on the ground staring into your face, fog streaming out. And you probably would have dropped your, dropped my morning sleep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Thanks, Johnny. Yeah, it's got to happen. All right. We're so helpful today. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to be no, honest. It's, I, I love it. That's right. If I just punch at her, it's non-lethal damage, right? Right, right. You can grab your morning star as a move action and attack with it if you want to. That's what I'm going to do. Okay. <laughs> yeah, never mind. That didn't work. So, so this is just mud wrestling, slipping through the mud, splashing, like sloshing. Three it's Stooges a mercy. Sketch. Never forget, what we're doing is a, a mercy. mercy. Yeah, yeah, I'm so glad I did this. <laughs> Round six. Dora, you're up and you're just watching. You can just see Ray like... Splashing through the blood to grab his morning star and like lashing out and slipping, like as his armor is sliding in the blood. It looks very, very. She's not going great. to, um, she's going to clear away so that when she inevitably stands up and makes a five foot step, she's you won't not get in the goddamn in the fog, fog yeah, again. Great. So, can you move me just straight toward Paul? But do I still have an idea of where, one yes. more, if you don't mind, where she is? So Dora moves about 20 feet across the southern wall near the entrance door to the room. Yeah, and I'm gonna try another, to throw another book at her. Yeah. Paperweight on the desk. Yes. Eighteen. Ooh. Hey, is that your total? That is my total. I have not subtracted anything for her being in melee. Yeah, I'll do that. Seven on the concealment die. That Five is a hit. Five points of bludgeoning Five damage. Five points of damage. With It was the paperweight. The paperweight was yes. fine. That's right. These books, like, they have no aero, aerodynamic, you know, consistency, right? Right. That's what Reynard is telling her right now. Yes, like, that's you finally the picked the right thing to throw. You Good keep job. picking these picture frames in books that are square, like, picture something rounder, and, you know, more it's going to always fly the same way. Like a bomb. All right. She's up. What do we got? Grip is unconscious. Ray is conscious, but prone. But prone and attacking her. All right. Yeah. I, I mean, she's, she's got to protect herself. Fist slash out. Ray. Here we go. I don't think she can hit you with this prone penalty. Well, that's pretty good. Nope. Miss. Yeah, that's a miss. Okay. Um, yeah. I. She's trying to kill you and is unable to do so because of the blood and the floor and the slipping and the sloshing. This is a true horror. Yes. Yeah. It's really awful. Grip. Give me a will save. 16. Hey, you wake up. Exactly where you were? No, you're not, but you're not grapplinger. Fuck it. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to stand. Oh, great. She'll try to and, attack you. And put your foot in her face. Ah, natural one. Okay, so she misses on the attack of opportunity. You're now towering over her. You and you are flanking. Oh, yes, you are flanking. Yeah. Yep. I was getting, I was seriously considering drawing the sword. While I'm flanking, I'm just going to take the attack I can. Yeah, love it. Seven plus two for the flank, yeah. Uh, that's a 26. Oh, nice. I'm going to check concealment. You're good. Four. Four points of damage. And with that, 
there's this like <laughs> inside of her and almost like a balloon glitter <laughs> no but like but like a balloon deflating as though nothing had been holding her body up and even structural except this dream stuff she just flattens down to a sack of skin oh. on the ground oh. a wet sack of skin lying in a 30 foot wide pool of blood and the fog finally stops and that's the end of chapter 22 oh. <laughs> Nexus is a creation of Plug and Hum Productions. This podcast uses trademarks and or copyrights owned by Paizo Incorporated, which are used under Paizo's community use policy. We are expressly prohibited from charging you to use or access this content. This podcast is not published, endorsed, or specifically approved by Paizo Inc. For more information about Paizo's community use policy, please visit paizo.com slash community use. And for more information about Paizo and Paizo products, please visit paizo.com. That's P-A-I-Z-O dot com. Dark Nexus uses music and soundscapes by Sirenscape. Check them out at sirenscape.com. That's S-Y-R-I-N-S-C-A-P-E dot com. Opening and closing themes, along with additional music, composed by Rob Kozlarik. Artwork for Dark Nexus is by Matt Walquist. Special thanks to Toy, without whose generosity this project would not have been possible. And thanks to DMCP, Richard and Ari, Paul and Shannon, Chris, Scotty, Jason, Jess, Joe, Chelsea, Matt, Dave, Darren, and everyone we've gamed with over the years for all the memories and inspiration. Fantastic. Did we level? (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.